Amen. You can be seated. So I'm just going to be up front. I'm emotionally and physically exhausted. Yesterday was a big day, and uh, it was much more emotional than I think I, I would have expected, but not because I was the weeper yesterday, because everybody else was weeping yesterday. And so I'm not kidding you. I've never seen so many people crying at a wedding. And I was good to the very end, and I looked up, and I was about to pronounce my son and his new bride-to-be as husband and wife, and I lost it. And so, anyway, but so I'm thankful that Matt prayed the way he did for me, because this is really practice. You guys, I appreciate that you are willing to be here and let me practice with you on this on this sermon. I'm praying, definitely, that the Lord would use it, and that my, my inept uh, ability or my inept... Um, attempt who use for his glory. So we are in the midst of this church health series. We began it eight weeks ago, and we really took something for granted, the church, right? I mean, we didn't sit down and define what a church is. We didn't talk about the church. We talked about what God was doing really in individuals and just assumed the church. And we talked about what God has done in us, the work he's done in us. And we said that that's really the beginning of a healthy church, but we never spent time talking about the church. We, we talked about that God is electing and God is regenerating and God is calling and God is restoring. We, we, we talked about him providing the hope of life. We talked about the things that he has done, <clears throat> but we didn't really talk about the church. And we even established through that this 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 premise or this series of things that we were able to build out. Gospel doctrine, as we looked at gospel doctrine, what we believe that God has done, what he has said he's done, gospel doctrine gave way to gospel identity. It wasn't just a series of beliefs. It wasn't just this external set of rules and religions that we follow. It was, it was a, a new person, a new nature within us, a, a gospel doctrine that gave way to gospel identity. And then it did connect to gospel community, all the while just assuming the church. Today, as we as we step into a new section of Peter's letter, the focus changes. And he begins to give us definition. He begins to give us a picture of the community of God's people. See, now, it, as, as we've really kind of assumed it all along, healthy Christians make a healthy church. That's, that's really what he is depicting. Healthy Christians live in healthy ways, and they live in response to God in, in proper, God-motivated, God-inspired ways. He really now takes some time and gives us a, an identity, not just as individuals saved together, but, but as a community of believers who are actually united together in Christ. You see, Jesus, he didn't come simply to save a people or a person, an individual. He came to save a people. He came to gather his people. And having been then united together with Christ, he unites us with his people to live together for his purpose and together fulfill his mission. That's really the premise now we're going to be building out over the next several weeks. And specifically, we're, we're talking about his membership in his church and what the church is and, and his purposes for the church and within the church and then his mission through the church. That's the, that's the three perspectives that over the next several weeks we're going to build out of this, of this next passage, this next perspective that Peter gives us. Today we're going to be focusing on membership in 
the church. We're going to be working from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. If you've got a Bible, you're welcome to turn there now. I'll give you just a little context so that, so that it all ties together. But, you know, Peter, Peter didn't separate his letters out with titles and chapters and verses. He, he just wrote the letter. And in the letter, he starts really by, by proclaiming and praising God for what he's done. And then he talks about, well, well, God has done this, now we should do this. And that's where we began to see the, the, the perspective of what a healthy church looks like as we as individuals are, are connected. God does this work. He changes your nature. He changes your identity. He draws you together. He, and, and by his word, he makes you a family. He gives us five commands that we follow. And we're not going to go through those again. You can go back and listen to, listen to the recordings if, if you've missed one. He gave us five commands, five proper commands responses in, in ways that we are to respond to the gospel, to, to live in obedience to, to God. And now he comes in chapter 2, verse 4, and he begins to paint a picture, a beautiful picture, chock full of metaphor. And he mixes the metaphors like crazy through this, through this passage. The reality is, I, I think the, the truth is, is that to, to define the church with one metaphor, you're, you're, you're missing something. And so he paints this picture Mixing metaphors hand over fist. I mean, just over and over. Drawing from the Old Testament Scriptures. He paints this picture of who we are together in Christ. And I think it's imperative that we get this. If we are going to be a healthy church. If we are going to continue to grow in our health. If we are going to continue to maintain the health that He has already established. So let's read. In chapter 2, verse 4, He says, as you come to Him, that's speaking of Jesus, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, and, <clears throat> but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And just think about those two words for just a second. Chosen and precious. Jesus wasn't an accident. It wasn't an oversight. He was chosen and precious. He is special to the Father. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. It stands in Scripture. You know, it just doesn't say in Scripture. It stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner stone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, brothers and sisters, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In this passage, I, 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 as I told you, I mean, he's painting a picture of the church and what it looks like to be a member 
of the church. The church membership in our, in our culture, church membership in, our, in, the, in the state in which the, the, our, our nation exists, church membership in America is on, it's in decline. Now, all the statistics show that, that the church's membership status and people who are identifying themselves as Christian and members of the church, it's, it's dropping and, 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 and it's, it's increasing in speed. Some of this, some of this, it's, it's it can be explained for sure. And, and some of this people take and they, they, they build a perspective and they, and they say, well, we know why. And, and we know what you could do to change it. We know what, we, what, what you could do to make the church grow again and to make the church relevant again. Some of this is, is helpful. And some of it's probably not helpful. For example, just... Recently, I was, I, I, I heard someone speaking. I, I can't remember who it was. I wish I could give you a name so I could warn you off of this person. I think it's a pretty well-known uh, uh, person. But I heard them speaking, and they, they, they presented the idea, they presented the premise that, you know, if, if Christians would just reject the clear commands of Scripture and just set aside the Bible, that we'd actually be able to be more relevant and less offensive. That because we believe in the Bible, because we hold to the Scripture, because we obey the Word, we're actually shrinking. We're becoming less relevant. We're, 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 we're pushing people away from Jesus. <laughs> I think that's really against all that we've seen happen, right? I mean, God calls us. God regenerates us. God, he, He's the one that borns us again, as Peter has said. He's the one that does that work and, 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 and simply gives us an expectation to be His holy people. And I hear those things and, and I think, well, that, that can't be right. And I, hear, I hear people in the church, I hear people in the church telling us, well, if you would just, if you would just quit being so traditional, if you just change your style or just find another way to contextualize, and, and, and please don't hear me, what I'm about to say, saying that we shouldn't be responsible to speak in the language of the people around us. That we shouldn't be looking for ways to contextualize the message. But brothers and sisters, if we attract people with a style, we have attracted them to a style and not the Savior that saves them. If we will give up the gospel simply so we can be cool and hip. I, I watched a video just this week. A friend of mine, Lane Harrison, pastor at LifePoint, completed his doctorate. It was actually last week. Completed his doctorate, and while he was out uh, at, at Southeastern, the seminary that he completed his doctorate through, he spent some time in Washington, D.C., and he went to Mark Deaver's church, Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C., and and I, I've known about this church for a while. It's a big church, and it's making inroads in a very progressive culture, but they are very, very traditional. I mean, out in the front of the stage, there is a piano that sits by itself, and, and their band is like a guitar, and at least what I heard playing, there was no drums. Very traditional. And at the end, there wasn't some cool, hip guy that walks up and just gives you this cool, let's see you later, kind of making you feel good about what's going on. A guy stands up and gives a benediction, right? Like, this is the word of the Lord, and... Blessed be the people of God. I don't remember what he said, but he said this. It was very traditional. It wasn't style. It's making this church successful 
making a church that's making a difference. But I happen to know that this church is building itself upon the gospel. And then there's a perspective that I came across this week. I think it was in Facebook. I saw in somebody's Facebook feed a, a cartoon that they liked. You see, some people actually think that that the church shrinking and membership roles decreasing is, is not even necessarily a bad thing. And the, the, the cartoon depicted three people, and they were each wearing a T-shirt, and, and on their T-shirts was a word that identified each of the people in the cartoon. And there was Christian, and there was non-Christian, and there was meh. Like, I don't care, right? Meh. And in the cartoon, in the, in the first block, in the first scene of the cartoon, the Christian and the non-Christian identified themselves clearly. The Christian, I believe in Jesus, I trust the Bible, I strive to live obediently. And in, in the non-Christian identified himself clearly. I don't believe in the Bible, I think it's a, a fable, I don't think it's worth believing, it's not relevant, that happened thousands of years ago, why would it matter to me today? Now I'm embellishing that just a little bit, but essentially that was the premise. And then there's, meh. And he's standing by the Christian. And he identifies himself very clearly. But it's distinctively different. And he says, I really appreciate and like the benefit I get from hanging out with the church. And so I'm going to identify myself as a Christian so that I can feel the benefits of what God has going on among his people. And then the scene changes. The scene changes, and it, meh, is no longer with the Christian, and his perspective has changed. Because in his perspective, it's actually gotten difficult to hang out with the church, to be called a Christian, to be considered one of God's people. So he no longer hangs out with the Christian, but identifies himself as non-Christian. And see, and the idea is, in this perspective, is that, that church membership roles are shrinking because it's not as easy and it's not as actually beneficial to be a Christian today in America as it was a generation or two ago. And, and I think, if I can speak for Peter, based on this perspective, that at least in some way he would agree with that cartoon. You see, he is calling for an active in, in committed and serious understanding of what it is to be a member of the body of Christ. He, he, isn't, just, he isn't just letting us have this, this, this intellectual perspective. He's not just letting us hold it out there somewhere distant and not, not make a difference in our life. In this passage, I mean, he is calling for something, for something real and tangible, meaningful. And consider who he's speaking of. Consider who he was thinking of when he wrote this letter. He's, he's thinking of a people who are suffering because they have said they believe in Jesus Christ, who are feeling the effects of saying they have believed and trusted in and are now following Jesus Christ. And rather than soften in his resolve, he calls them to something deeper and more intentional and more precious. I, I, the, the idea of the person saying, put away the Scripture, walk away, put it aside, don't, don't, we don't need it anymore. 
We'll be offensive. We won't be relevant. That that person softens in their resolve. The person who says, if you get the right systems in place, if you get the right, right structure and the right style in place, that person is softening in their resolve. And Peter says, no, you can't let it go. The church is built on Jesus Christ. We can't let this go. We must fight for it. We must cling to it. We must be willing to die for it. The church is God's distinct people who are being built upon Christ, receiving God's blessings through Christ, and serving God's purposes in Christ. God never set out to establish a people in the world that could not be distinguished from the world. He He didn't come to establish a people that just looked like everybody else. He came to establish a people who were distinct because they had been transformed to be like Him. And that is the church. And really our participation in it, our membership in it, our belonging to it, and the joy we receive because of it, it really comes down to just really one simple question. What are you going to do about Jesus? You see, what, what are you doing about Jesus? He opens this, this phrase, as you come to Him. As you come to Him. In verse 4, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And then he counteracts that, or he, 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 he contrasts that against this, this, this people who are not coming to him, but rejecting him. Are you coming to him as the cornerstone? As the one who who establishes the the, the stability and the strength and the purpose and and the size and the shape of the building, are you coming to Him as the only and exclusive way in which God has established His people? Are you coming to Him? Or are you like so many other people in our world? Examining the cornerstone. Now, just think about this. Think about it in like in, in these terms. So, b- before we poured foundations with concrete, before the the day that you could roll a truck up and pour concrete onto the ground and boom, there's your foundation. They built with blocks, not Legos. I'm talking about stone blocks, right? And they would have to dig them out of the ground and chisel them to make them right and, and make them flush and firm and straight and level. They they had to do this by hand. It's not like they had saws to chop them off and make them right. They were carving these things. And the builders would come to this stone and they would look at it. And they would inspect it. And they would think about the terms of their building. Is is it going to be a square? Is it going to be an octagon? Is it going to be walls that go out and and, and slant out? Or is it walls that are going to slant in? Or what's it going to look like? And that cornerstone, it had to be laid just right. Or there's no chance of getting the building Right. 
Certainly, there's, there's ways that mistakes can be made in a building to make it untrue, right? I mean, you can lay the foundation and you can build a wall crooked. I, I can tell you, you can build a wall crooked, right? I know how to do that. I'm probably good at that. But if you don't get this piece right, the starting point right, then you have to make mistakes to even think about having a straight wall. What God is saying is there is no other chance in this, in this view, in this realm. There is no other chance to get it right. If you don't start right, you don't ever get right. You can't in any way come to, to the stone that He has chosen and said is precious and say that's not good enough. Oh, but, but look, approval from people. That's what I really need. Popular opinion. That's what I really need. Oh, the right style. That's what I really need. Oh, the right perspectives. More enlightened, more updated, more contemporary perspectives. That's what we really need. That will never be nor build the church. It will always be something else and as Peter goes as Peter goes here it, he contrasts these two ideas all the way through let me just give you a couple as we come to Jesus we are not excluded but included among his people it's exactly what he's trying to say here. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Watch what happens. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are made to belong. In the Scripture, there is no distinction between coming to Jesus and being placed in His church. Membership in the church as you come to Jesus is not optional. It's automatic. It happens whether you want it to or not. You can't look at Jesus and say, I love Him, but I hate His people. Because if you love Jesus, you are His people. You might as well say you hate yourself. If you've come to Jesus, he's given you a love for his people. Remember back just a couple of weeks ago from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22, he says, now that you have purified yourself by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. If you can't look at the people of God and say, I love them and I have a love for them, a sincere brotherly love for them, and I want to love them earnestly, then you may not have come to Jesus. He's saying, listen, it happens. You come to Jesus and He makes you living stones. He makes you like Himself. You are being built into a spiritual house. You are made to belong. Scripture knows nothing of a Christian. Knows nothing of a Christian that, that is not connected to the people of Christ. Now, there's a couple of ways we could look at this. 
Well, Peter, he's obviously, maybe we could say Peter's obviously talking about the universal church, the, the people of God. So the universal church, let me, let me just define that for you so you understand what I'm talking about. The universal church is, is God's people from all of time and every place. And so just like, just like we are the church, that the church is in Senegal, in, in, in a village that no church existed in, no Christians existed in, and we are together the church. And, and it, it, it encompasses all of the people in Springfield and all of the people in America and all of the people in the world that have come to Christ. That's the universal church, but not just those people who have come now, but people who have come from all time and who will come in time. All of those people are the universal church. They're members of the body of Christ. They have been made members of the family. They have been made members of His people. They belong. They are being built into the spiritual house. And certainly, you could say, well, He's talking about the spiritual and the universal church. And yeah, I, I think He is. But I think He's also speaking to a bunch of people who are experiencing difficulty in real world local situations. He is calling them to be local churches. You are not just being built up to be an individual that makes it on your own. You are being built into the spiritual house. Some people would suggest that, oh, I don't have to be a, a, a Christian. I, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. But if you're not going to church, you might ask why you don't want to be with God's people. If you don't have a longing and a draw to be with them, a desire to be among them, you might ask yourself, am I rejecting the stone? Or am I coming to Him? It might be just one exception to a person who is who is brought into the universal family, to the universal church, but is not connected to the local church. And that might just be, that one exception might just be the very first believer in a village or in, in a location. We have seen believers in the, in the second village, Tokal, that's the name we use for that village. Uh, or I'm sorry, Kappa is the name we use for the village that I'm going to in September. And in that village, we've seen two people come to faith. Two. But at one point, there was just one. And now the, the joy of there being two is that we can lead them to be together. To benefit and bless one another. They need one another. And as desperately as... I think it's easy for us to look at them and say they need one another. But don't be fooled, brothers and sisters. As desperately as they need one another, we need one another. And there are many today that, that would seek to, to try to make that distinction between membership in the universal church and, and local churches. And, and I, I think that that's a, a horrible thing to do. I think it's an unhealthy thing to do. I think it actually undermines church health because we are local, physical 
people. And yes, I might be able to recognize, I might be able to understand that I belong to the universal body of Christ and one day we'll stand in heaven united with brothers and sisters that we have never met. And every tribe and every tongue and every nation will all be represented there. But brothers and sisters, you and I recognize, we must recognize that we cannot be with them today. That if we are going to be the church, we must have a local body in which we unite with, that we gather with, that we bless one another through. And just as an example of the, the trash that's being talked about church membership just this week, a church, a big church, actually a sister church of ours in the Acts 29 network, the village church, is, was being defamed because of some of the mistakes that their elders had made and a mistake that they had made as they, as they handled a, a very difficult situation. And so, as is so easy to do, a bunch of people started writing their blogs, not being present, not even being anywhere close to the situation, not even ever hearing both sides of the circumstances, but listening to one side of the issue, these people jump on their blogs and say, oh, this is the reason why local church membership doesn't work, and signing covenants together, it shouldn't be done. It's abusive. It just empowers leaders to be abusive and uncaring of their people. Should never sign a covenant together. And that was very disheartening. First, because I know the leaders, many of the leaders at the village church, and I know that they are godly men who desire to see God glorified, and they care deeply for the people of that church. But also, because in the process, the bride of Christ is defamed. And what was meant to be handled in a local church was brought into the public arena for people to begin to judge and condemn. But truly, I, I think it, it all rests in a, a misunderstanding of, of what it is to be a member of of the church and be willing to commit to one another because we so fully believe in the stone that was chosen and is precious and, and is determined by God. You see, I, I think the reality of a, a church covenant that, that's not built out of Scripture, that's not built out of the gospel, then certainly that, that's, a, that's a bad thing. But we won't call them a church. Let's just agree upon that. They're anything else because they're building upon something else. If they don't start with Jesus, if they don't lead to Jesus, if they don't uh, encourage us to obey Jesus, then, then, then let's not call them a church. Let's call them what they are. They're community and civic clubs. But they are not a church. The church is built upon Jesus Christ. And when we come together, there is absolutely nothing wrong with us standing together and saying, I commit to you. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, I commit to you. Every last one of you, I commit to you to follow Christ, to strive to set aside sin, to live in obedience, to trust Him, to come to the living stone. Will you come with me? That's what, that's what the covenant is. That's what the agreement is. Will you, together with me, pursue Jesus? That is healthy. That is strong. And it enables, it enables us to, to, to endure the difficulties of this life in a world that would, that, that would snuff us out if they could. Don't be deceived. 
the world doesn't want you. Because Jesus is chosen. They hate you because they hated him. Brothers and sisters, we come and we commit to one another for the very reason that we see Peter calling us in this passage to recognize. We, we, we do this because in the universal expression, we, we, we express it in our real world living. We come to Him and we, and, we, and we commit to Him. And we stand before one another and we commit to one another that we have committed to Him. That is healthy. In his book, Church Membership, How the World Knows Who Represents Jesus, Jonathan Lehman points out several problems that come from denying church membership in a local church and, and removing that from the equation. Christians can think it's fine to a church to attend a church indefinitely without joining. That, that undermines the health of the church. It undermines the ability of the Christian to grow. It undermines the ability of the Christian to enjoy the blessings of God. Christians don't integrate their Monday to Saturday lives with the lives of other saints because we don't commit to one another because we won't covenant together because we won't take seriously the membership that Jesus has established in and among his people we don't recognize our responsibility to see one another except on Sunday you get that? seen that? experienced that? Christians Assume they can make a perpetual habit of being absent from the church's gathering a few Sundays a month or more. Now, we know life happens. We, we, we know that, that you're going to be gone. We, we know that I'm going to be gone. It's okay. But when you know that you're on a rotation, that I'm going to show up every, every third week because I really got other things to do the other two weeks. When your events in life keep you separate from the, from the people of God and the preaching of the, of the Word of God and the observance of the sacraments of God. That exists because we don't take seriously the membership, the unity that, that Christ has wrought in and among His people. Christians don't realize that they are partly responsible for both the spiritual welfare and the physical livelihood of other members of the church. When one mourns, one mourns by himself. When one rejoices, one rejoices by herself. You see, we've tried to maintain, in, in, in denying membership, we're trying to maintain our own individual identity. But that's not what Peter is calling us to. We are living stones being built together be a spiritual house. You see, when we come to Jesus, we are automatically brought into His church. And it's our responsibility. It is our responsibility to not sit and take, but to, to step in and participate. To not come into the church like we're going to Walmart, to not come into the church as if it's just meant to, to be our, our place to get what we need and to go away. We have to fight for this because Jesus died for it. He gave everything up to establish it. And so now we must live in it. And then just one last idea. As we come to Jesus, instead of curses, we receive blessings with His 
people. You see it? Peter contrasts the idea. In one, you're built into the spiritual house. In another, as you reject him, he becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. There's a little bit of a difference between those two things. It's obvious. You come to Jesus and you become His people. You you reject Jesus and you're excluded from His people. You come to Jesus and you enjoy the blessings that come as in coming to Him. In verse 5, they're, they're made like Him. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. In verse 6, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. That means that the world may reject you, the world may laugh at you, the world may ridicule you. Oh, I can't believe you believe, believe Jesus over science even though the two aren't mutually exclusive. I can't believe that you would hold to Jesus' teaching from 2,000 years ago instead of what's, what's popular today. You might be ridiculed. You might be sloughed out. You, uh, uh, you might not be considered by the world. But you will never be put to shame because there will come a day when you will be proven right. Because Jesus will be proven right. Verse 7, the honor is for those who believe. The honor is for those who believe, not for those who don't believe. Verse 9, we're no longer stumbling around in darkness. But we have been called into His marvelous light. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's easier to walk in the light. I think it's, I think it's better to walk in the light. I, I think, I, I'd rather turn on a light and walk across a room than, than try to find my way in the dark. That's a benefit. It's a blessing. But oftentimes... Oftentimes, believers don't get to fully realize these blessings. Because the truth of the matter is, is that for many Christians, the reason for, for many Christians, the reason that they're not fully realizing these blessings is because they're not fully committing to the people that God has placed them among. You see the the truth is, is that for whatever reason, God has chosen to work through us. He has chosen to make us a priesthood. He's chosen us to be His, His holy people, His holy nation. He has given us a purpose. He has given us His love to share. He has called us to love one another. He has called us to serve one another. He has called us to forgive one another. And maybe the reason that so many Christians struggle and don't enjoy the blessings of God is because they are missing the very first blessing of His people. So I, I, I guess I just would, I would end it on this note. And I just would ask this question. What is missing in your life? Are you uncertain of what's next? Are you confused about your circumstances and situation? Are you, are you struggling in some way and can't understand what God is doing? All you want to do is ask why, and I can't believe that I'm in this place and, and what's going on. Well, first, I'd just ask you, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with him? Are you coming to him? 
Are you trusting that He is the stone? The, the, the one chosen and precious and that on Him you are being built? Or are you looking to every other thing in the world, to any other thing in the world, to build your life on? And then are you making an effort to connect to the people He's connected you to? You see, there, I think there's a reality. I think there's an important reality that we have to deal with. There, there is certainly a responsibility of the church to provide opportunity. But it is incumbent upon every member of the church as the opportunity is presented to take advantage of it. You see, Christ came to us that we might come to Him. Now as we come to Him, we got to go there together. we got to do this together. And so maybe, just maybe, your struggle won't go away, but you'll find peace as you're able to lean on brothers and sisters who call you to look at Jesus. This maybe, sense will be made out of the situation that you're in as you stand together with believers who will encourage you and and empower you and equip you to take a step forward, to, to follow Him more faithfully. Maybe, just maybe, the consequences of the sin that you struggle with will begin to diminish as brothers and sisters love you enough to help you live in obedience to His Word. You see, Christ never came to build a, to build a people who look like the world. He came to establish a spiritual people distinct from the world and if you have come to him you belong to him and you are one of us your responsibility is to come to him with us what are you doing with jesus what are you doing with his people let's pray